Hi, everyone. Welcome to the second episode of Startup from Scratch. Um, today, we have Bradley Webb, who's going to talk to us about co-founder dating, which has been something that everyone goes through. Um, everyone at some point kind of struggles with who do you start a company with? Who's the right fit? How do you find that out? How do you source founders? Um, and, and is there a structured process to doing something like this? We always hear about the serendipitous stories of people who've grown up together, who start a company together, and, and it works out great. But I know that for a lot of us, that's not how things go. Um, you know, one of the things that I think is really interesting about co-founder dating that I was thinking about as you were saying that is the fact that it is so varied because it's so fundamentally human. And I think that's part of why I'm always excited to hear people's founder stories and co-founder stories because it's everything that happens in the company in some way like comes up into that. that. So um, there's a lot of ways I think you can describe Bradley. On the one hand, former Facebook employee jumping into the founder role. On the other hand, a parent founder trying to balance the commitment of parenthood with the demands of a fledgling company. Um, so I think overall there's this really cool intersection of this SaaS PM by day, marketplace founder by night, 24 hour husband and dad. Um, but that's, uh, that's my perspective on it. Uh, Bradley, super excited to have you joining us from San Diego. Um, and yeah, please tell us a bit about yourself. Thanks for uh, having me, Kennedy and Myrna. I'm really excited to be here uh, and chat with you about this because this has been a lot of what I've been doing for the last uh, few months. Uh, so a little bit about me. I started my journey in tech uh, working for the Navy. I worked on satellites and submarines and aircraft carriers and uh, communication systems, intelligence systems. It was really interesting, really hardcore tech. Uh, from there, I went and did what everyone does, and I got an MBA um, and transitioned from there to Facebook, where I helped build the quality ecosystem there. So if you've ever reported a bug, um, you have me to thank. Uh, and if you've ever gotten the annoying pop-up on your phone when you shake it accidentally, you also have me to thank for that. Um, from there, I uh, transitioned to San Diego for... Uh, quality of life reasons for my family. Uh, we have six-year-old twin boys and a one-and-a-half-year-old, and, a half year old, and uh, we just were looking for some place for them to grow up uh, that we thought that they would be really happy. Uh, my wife and I both loved our jobs up in the Bay, um, but it just it felt like the right time and the right place for our family. Uh, my wife and I spent 10 years in San Diego before our whirlwind journey through the Bay and, and the East Coast, and so it was a great place to settle down. Uh, and so now I work as a product manager for a real estate tech company, uh, helping people who own and operate properties for rent, uh, which makes the COVID stuff really interesting in that light. Um, but I also am working on starting a marketplace company for people looking to buy and sell small businesses. And uh, that's what I've been working on for the past, well, really long time uh, it feels like but I think it's been uh, really earnestly for the past six months and about dabbling for you know 10 to 12 months before that. It sounds like you've been working on this for some time. I'm, I'm really curious why you've started co-founder dating it sounds like somewhat recently. Um, yes and no. So I, going back to I think the point that you guys talked about earlier around uh, that serendipitous, you know, finding your co-founder through people you work with and things like that. Um, there were a couple of folks at Facebook that I, I tried really hard to convince to work on this with me. Um, 
for that reason, like we worked really well together. They were brilliant engineers. Uh, we had a great working relationship, but they were not at a point in their careers where they were looking to start up. And I think that's been one of the biggest challenges for me is finding people that are both brilliant and at that point in their careers that they're willing and able and excited to take a risk of starting up a company. Even if the, the ask is not like quit your job, it's just work on this with me. That, that kind of dual threading for people who are in really you know, challenging you know, engineers at Facebook, like that's really hard to, to stomach if you're not super engaged and super on board with starting a company. Um, so I spent a, a good bit of time working with them on that. Uh, and then for a while, I just kind of spent a bunch of time working on it solo as a way to really hone what I thought the company was and build my understanding, you know, building prototypes and things on my own. I'm, I'm relatively technical, not super technical. And so there was a lot I could do myself and just kind of test out and play with. Um, before I really jumped back into it. I think one of the things that is interesting to me is that aspect of finding people who are ready to make that jump. Um, because I think for some people, it's a matter of timing, right? They, they right. feel like their life has to be in a certain position. But I also think that there's an aspect where the decision to be a great employee versus being a founder is sometimes the difference between being really passionate and also being ambitious. And I'm wondering how, you know, how much you, do you feel like that's mapped with your experience or do you feel like it's been just um, a completely different set of dynamics of what people are working with? And, and for full disclosure, I'm kind of thinking back to uh, before I co-founded Banting, which came around this really specific idea. I was ideating around um, other, other apps that could be built and was trying to find people that would want to build that with me. And I just remember being so overwhelmed to even know where to start looking for somebody, much less to find somebody that was going to, to want to make that, that plunge. Yeah, it, it is really overwhelming. Um, and it's really overwhelming when you don't have somebody in your network because there are a lot of indicators of startup success that you wanna find in a potential co-founder. And finding all of them in someone that you don't know at all is, is it's really hard and, and it's a big networking game. And being in San Diego, I think helps in some cases and hurts in some cases. You know, Silicon Valley is great because there's a lot of people who want to start up, but there's also a lot of people that already have ideas, right? Uh, and so uh, it, it's really, it, it is a really big, difficult challenge finding those people that are at the right stage with the right ambition who are you know interested in like you said potentially not being the the greatest employee um not a bad employee certainly um but just not being able to be a 10 on that scale right and who are used to being 10s who are accustomed to being 10s and you know maybe they get like the meets all expectations instead of the meets you know, exceeds or greatly exceeds expectations. And that's challenging. And finding those people is, is not easy um, at all. Yeah, I think, I think you touched on something really interesting there, which is this idea of like indicators that your co-founder should have, right? Which is, um, feel free to like correct me on this. It, it, it feels like, and I, I know I face this pressure where there's almost this sense of you want your co-founder to check certain boxes just at a glance. 
um, because the idea is that it makes it easier for investors to kind of validate that yes, you're a good enough team. Um, that doesn't come up as a question mark. Is that sort of the type of thing you're thinking about, or do you have like different things that you look at as your own personal indicators? So I'm not as interested in, in those indicators in part because I think traction papers over a lot of those like flaws. When, whenever I hear, you know, I've talked to enough venture capitalists and I've heard enough like, Oh, well, you know, your pedigree is not great. Well, if you looked at Mark Zuckerberg's pedigree at first blush, you wouldn't have invested <laughs> in him. Right. But traction papers over a lot of those. So I wasn't as concerned about pedigree because I think it, when you can, when you take pedigree too much into consideration, you're overpaying for past performance. Right. Um, it, like I'm, I'm a huge baseball nut. And one of the things in baseball is that the first six years of your career, you get at a discount, right? The team that pays you gets that those six first, first six years at a discount. And then the, the year subsequent to that, the teams are essentially paying for past performance because they don't know exactly what you're going to do in the subsequent six years. And generally your first six years are your best years. And the same kind of goes for, you know, pedigree is that if you over-index on that, you're kind of paying for past performance. And there's no guarantee necessarily that that's going to, you know, indicate future performance. I think the things that, that I'm looking for specifically are, am I surrounding people, surrounding myself with people that are significantly smarter than me? Uh, because there are really challenging problems that we're going to need to solve. And I want to make sure that I'm surrounded by people that are going to push me and challenge me and, and be able to help me solve those problems in really like creative and material ways. And, and so that's really important to me. Plus it also then brings, gets us access to more people of that caliber. Smart people generally have friends that are really smart. And so then that just opens us up to that access. And some of that is indicated by that pedigree and that background. Did you work at Facebook? Did you work at, you know, such and such startup certainly are good indicators. Um, but I try not to over index on those things because I think they can be misleading. Hmm. I'm really curious when you, you know, meet people who could potentially be a good fit for what you're doing that are, that are strangers, you know, you just, you just met them. You don't really know anything about them. Um, is there some sort of process that you go through to, to kind of find out if they might be a good fit or not? Um, do you work on a project together? Or is it just, you know, coffee and, and chat, see if they're interested or um, how do you kind of dig really deep into who they are, what they, what, how they work um, and if they could be a really good fit for you. And, and yeah. so I have generally, the way I have approached this in the, in, in this process generally has been around having an initial conversation and giving them the pitch, right? This is the startup that I'm working on. This is how I see the market. This is how I see the fundamentals, um, walking them through it and then giving them some space to think about it and respond back with like, what are your insights? What are you thinking? Because I want to see if they can think about the problem and get empathy for the people that we're going to have to work for and understand the market and, and be able to do that. And not like the way that I can, because I've been thinking about these problems for 18 months. Um, but just in a way that, that shows that they're engaged and impassioned about this. And then they're not just like, you know, looking for anything here and there. Um, and so it usually starts with a conversation that, you know, proceeds with a follow-up conversation around like, okay, so what do you think about this? Pick it apart. Tell me where it's wrong. Um, and really just like pressure testing it. 
And then uh, in the event that that goes really well, basically what we've done, um, what we've, what I've worked agreed with for folks is um, that we'll do, we'll just start working on the project together, essentially. Um, no commitments, nothing, and just see where it goes, right? Do we enjoy working together? Are we compatible? Do we communicate really well? And just kind of like let that play out. How will you know when you found the one? That is a fantastic question. Ooh. So, uh, <laughs> Right now, I've been working with a couple folks um, on the the project, um, and so I met uh, I met one of my potential co-founders through a friend um, who I was consulting with on their startup, uh, and just giving them advice and feedback. And then they decided they introduced me. And and part of this is the nature of the startup I'm working on. So building a marketplace for people looking to buy and sell businesses. It's, uh, you take a second to stop and pause. It's profound how many people that you know, know or probably know or that don't, you, you don't realize you know that are actually looking to do this. A lot of people own small businesses and they're super illiquid. And so I get, I get lots of introductions to people because they're like, oh, my friend, they have a family business that they're trying to help their dad sell. Um, so I get a lot of introductions that way. And, it, and so I actually, that was the introduction I got. It was like, I have this friend her dad owns a, a tree farm. Can you help her? Can you like help her? And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll talk to her. And it just turned out that she was a brilliant engineer uh, and had helped found a couple other companies. And she was super interested in working on something because her last startup uh, just didn't work out. And she was, you know, open to, to starting something new. Uh, and so that was very serendipitous. Um, and so we've been working together for probably four, four and a half weeks now. Um, and then I got connected to somebody else um, who was more of like business and market oriented um, because you know, again, building a marketplace for small businesses, we need technology, but we also need a profound understanding of business and the markets and how factors like COVID are going to affect interest rates, which are then subsequently going to affect lending, which will affect people's you know, ability to pay for or buy small businesses. Mm -hmm. And so we got connected as well. And so then there was a little bit more of that. You know, we talked about the, the startup. We had some more conversations about whether or not we thought that this was really an interesting fit. And then it became this like really interesting puzzle of, okay, now do the three of us think that we're all good fits together because it, it's no longer like a one-to-one -one thing. It's a one-to-many challenge. And so that's been this, a really interesting dynamic over the past three. This is the start of the fourth week where all three of us have been working on it and trying to like figure out like how do we work together? Do we think that, that we're all good matches and that we have sufficiently complementary and not substitutive skill sets. Mm. Do you guys mm. all um, work in, are they all in San Diego or? No, no, we have never met each other in person. Oh my God. How funny. That's actually also myself and Kennedy. We've never met in person. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> we totally feel you on that. We've we've formed a very special friendship over Zoom. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I'm very excited to finally meet her once this is all over. But I mean, I imagine that that must only come with an interesting kind of dynamic when it's when you're trying to do something as 
you know, intimate as starting a company with someone you've never met before. Yeah, it's, it, it's very interesting, for sure. I really like what you commented on with the idea of like complementary versus uh, substitutive skill sets. Um, how, how do you look at that? How do, how do you kind of frame or qualify that and evaluate that? So I think, I think part of it was just me being intentional about the people I was engaging with in those conversations. I mean, I, I try to be opportunistic with, with conversations, right? If, if I, if, there are so many interesting people to meet and engage with that I will never turn down a conversation with somebody um, to talk about their startup, to talk about my startup, to talk about, you know, the real estate industry, to talk about Facebook. I, it's just, it's fun to talk to people and meet people. I'm classic extrovert. Um, but as I was having these conversations and trying to be intentional about putting together a team, one of the things that I was look, looking for as I was building this team is you know, being really self-reflective. What am I good at? What are the things that I'm interested in and not just good at? What do I need as like skills to build this, this team? Right. And like the first thing, if we're going to build a marketplace company is that that's built around software and technologies. Okay. We probably need somebody who's technical. Um, especially given that the challenges that we're looking to solve were around the inability to search and find and, and the difficulties of small businesses being able to be discoverable. Um, one of the quirks of selling a small business is that you actually don't want to tell people that your small business is for sale because your customers and your employees might leave, right? So it's like trying to sell your house, but not telling anyone your house is for sale. And that's a uniquely challenging problem. Uh, but the other side of that was that I was also looking for somebody who had like industry experience in you know, the business world and the pricing dynamics and, and really around like, you know, the, the open door or the Zillow model, these companies that have kind of come in and upended the real estate model um, because it's very similar. Buying and selling businesses are, is actually regulated by the department of real estate. And so mm-hmm. the like functional mechanism for buying and selling a small business is very similar to buying and selling a house. And so I was really interested in somebody who had like some business experience from that lens of like open door or compass or Zillow who could bring that sense of understanding of the market dynamics, the, the vast network of experts who participate in that, right? Selling a small business, you have a lawyer, a CPA, a broker, an escrow company, a banker, all those people require generally relationships, but these technology companies have kind of come in and, and, uh, kind of found ways to substitute those relationships. And so I was really interested in, you know, meeting people who could potentially help fill that gap in my knowledge and expertise. So it's interesting. I, I, you mentioned with your two potential co-founders right now, uh, it makes a lot of sense what their emotional tie-in is. Um, I'm curious what, what makes you passionate about this space? I think it is absolutely just the most empowering thing to give people the opportunity to own their own business and control their own destiny. I mean, if you think about the American dream, it's, it's really about giving people the power to like self-determine, right? Like the, the whole notion of manifest destiny is like really the American dream embodied. And, and that's super empowering, right? Like one of the biggest reasons why people get so upset with capitalism these days is because it doesn't feel like it works for everybody. And this feels like an opportunity to help capitalism 
work for more people and to make that time and effort that you spend investing in yourself and in your career worthwhile and meaningful at the end of your career, right? Like my father-in-law owned a dental practice and uh, about five or six years ago, he decided that he was ready to retire and he wanted to sell. And the process that he had to go through to actually sell that practice was extremely strenuous and extremely challenging and it didn't need to be. And the reality was is that he didn't get nearly as much for his practice as he probably should have because the market isn't terribly liquid and it's controlled by a cartel of advisors and experts that kind of intermediate the, the market and don't do a great job of it. Um, and, and so there's a huge opportunity to really like make people's lives and efforts. I mean, most people don't think about this, but there are 30 million small businesses in the United States. You know, it's an enormous part of the U S economy is small businesses. And so making that like just a more viable option for more people, I think is super empowering. I love the conviction that you have in, in, in your venture and, and startup. It's uh, it's really great to, to hear how passionate you are about this. Um, and it kind of feeds into my next question, which is, uh, why did you want co-founders in the first place? I, I know you mentioned um, a little bit about having people who can kind of fill in some of the knowledge gaps, um, but had for any, for any reason things not worked out and, um, you know, you couldn't find the right fit, how are you going to proceed and, and move forward in something that you're so passionate about and clearly don't want to give up on? Yeah. That, um, so I was pretty committed to basically dual threading this process, right? Um, I was at equal parts looking for co-founders and equal parts starting to, to build on my own. Um, one of the challenges of buying and selling a small business is purely just finding out all the small businesses and taking the little bit of like tech savviness that I have that I've acquired over the years of working in technology and, and kind of accumulated through osmosis by like sitting next to engineers. Um, I was working on, you know, I designed a, a prototype and I was working on trying to hack together the pieces of that necessary, you know, getting the data, um, the census department is actually a fantastic resource for data about small businesses. Um, if you didn't know that you absolutely should because it's fantastic. Uh, and so just doing what I could to kind of take iterative steps towards the vision that I wanted so that I could then go out and start, you know, trying to, to build that demand and supply for this marketplace. It's interesting. I feel like I'm hearing a lot of people talk about dual threading for fundraising right now. Um, it's a very similar kind of situation to have to deal with two parallel paths that aren't, they don't, aren't necessarily opposite of each other um, and they can contribute to one another, but they both outcomes can't exist. Yeah. Um, so it's really interesting, I guess, how do you, how long can you run the dual thread process, right? Like what, what is there a cutoff at which you say, okay, I've got to just do this and I'll use traction to recruit somebody. Mm-hmm. So uh, one interesting point, and then I'll get specifically to your question. I think one of the challenges as well to this is the context backfilling for the people that you're working with. I think one of the biggest challenges for me is taking what I've essentially acquired about this opportunity in the market and the, the participants in the market as I've spent 12 months 
you know, learning and, you know, doing interviews and talking to people and understanding their needs. Uh, and when you bring on people from who haven't participated in that, like discovery process, there's actually a huge challenge to making sure that they have the same context you have and can help lead you towards that vision. Because one of the challenges towards building anything is making sure that everybody's aligned on the vision and why that vision is that exists and like why it's important and why these are real problems that people have. And they're not just going to take my word for it. And so that was one of the like things that I didn't realize I was going to need to do in this process that we actually did really, really well. We went back and essentially redid discovery that I had already done. And we redid analysis and redid like positioning and, you know, how are we going to monetize and, and all of those things that I had already kind of played through and, and done the math and the algebra on, um, we kind of redid as a way to make sure that the, the rest of the team was aligned and pulling towards the same vision. And I think back to your question around dual threading, for me, it stopped once we started working together because I wanted to invest all of my effort in making sure that the, the folks that I was working with now could be successful and that we could like really get to the end, the other side of this like time together and be able to feel comfortable about our, uh, our decision to either commit to working together or not. Uh, I, I, I didn't want to short that opportunity. Um, but I think I, I, going back to your point of, of how I, to, for me, I would have continued working on it eternally, dual threading, trying to commit to building a product and then you know, recruiting when and where I could. Because I think one of the other pieces is that you, you should theoretically always be interested in people who can help you know, improve the potential outcome of your company. And whether that's a co-founder or a uh, advisor or a consultant or, you know, somebody who can just come in for a season, right. To help out. Um, I think it's just, it, you, you have to do what you have to do to get the, the initial idea across that like precipice of product, right. And out of your brain and into the world. That's super interesting. I, I think that there's uh, I'm fascinated by one kind of the amount of, consideration towards buy-in, right? Um, but two, I think that there's this question. So let me back up. To be perfectly honest, I don't think I really understood the point of like why co-founders were so important before I was in the middle of trying to launch a product with co-founders. Um, and so I think looking on it from the outside, I originally had this idea of, okay, it de-risks you to investors by showing multiple, you know, complementary skill sets. Okay, cool. I get that. And it gives you kind of a partner in the venture. And that I knew there was like this really important emotional component um, because there are these ups and downs that you have to traverse. And it's really powerful to have somebody that's as committed to that up and down with you. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it makes it profoundly easier to carry the vision. Uh, but I don't, what I don't think I appreciated as much was actually the thought partnership itself. Um, even, even from a vision setting perspective. Um, I think I hear a lot of that with you talking about wanting to walk back through what are the assumptions and why are you building it in this particular way? But I, I wonder what is it that you are hoping to get most out of having a co-founder? That answer would have been really simple before you asked it the answer to that question I would have been like <laughs> obviously I just want to like uh, but I, I do think there is something to the emotional support 
we've been having a lot of conversations with participants in this market. And one of the things that has been interesting and profound about that is that you hear a lot of people that are very negative about the, the, the opportunity and not just like playing it down because they think it's a bad idea, but, but that are honestly like, Oh, you know, if, look at the market from this angle and your idea is stupid and they're, they're not wrong. Right. And so having some emotional support through those up and ups and downs to, to really make sure that, Oh no, no, no. Like, yeah, that, that is true, but this, this is still a valid assumption or no, he's just, you know, he's threatened or whatever. Um, so having that emotional support, I think is super valid. But I think some of it is just purely de-risking and finding people that have like um, a comparative advantage, right? If you think to, to economic theory, certainly the United States could probably self-sufficiently build and produce all, the, all of its economy's needs. But it, it is not the best, most efficient decision for the U.S. to do that because the U S has the comparative advantage in one thing and, you know, Thailand has a comparative advantage in another and, and France has a comparative advantage in the other thing. And the, the most economic efficient thing is for each of those companies to do the thing that they have the comparative advantage in, even if one of those things, you know, isn't necessarily like they aren't necessarily the best in the world at that thing. And, and so I think the same goes here is that certainly I could have written all the, the JavaScript and the Python and, done all of the market analysis and built all the relationships, but it's not the best use of my time to do that. And finding people who, for whom that is the best use of their time is uh, both liberating and gets us way closer to the, the end of the, 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 the product road that we want to get down. I, like I spent, gosh, probably two full weekends working on this one, like, piece of the data analysis challenge and like scraping a bunch of data. Um, and the, within like the first few hours of working with uh, my technical peer, uh, she was able to pull that data, like all of it. I was able to get like a sliver and she had all of it. And so it was just like, at, that was the point where I knew I was like, this was the best decision I made because that is her comparative advantage, right? It was not the best use of my time. It was the thing that I had to do to move the move us, like myself forward. But it was absolutely the best decision to bring on somebody who for whom this was their like thing. That's awesome. Um, I had a question for you, and and I mean, I, I don't know how how deep we want to get in about this, but in terms of, you know, having a family and having kids, um, is this something that you finding a co-founder and finding kind of someone to, you know, quote unquote, share the burden with you? Is this something that makes things kind of a little bit easier for, um, you know, the whole family to kind of get on board with? It's like, oh, you know, I'm not doing this alone. I, I kind of have a founding team. We have a plan. Or, or does it not necessarily play a significant role? That's a good question. I, I don't think it, it, it hasn't, it certainly hasn't decreased the amount of time that I'm, I'm spending on the project. In fact, if it's done anything, it's probably increased because now I feel even more pressure to, um, to keep up essentially to, to make sure that I'm contributing. And if I say I need to do something for the team by tomorrow, then I need to make sure I do it because before it was just me, I could be like, eh, well, if I don't get it done tomorrow. It's not the end of the world. Um, so I think that accountability has actually been good. Um, 
I do think that from my wife's perspective, it probably helps her feel a little bit more. I don't think she ever thought they, I, it, she's always been behind me from a, like, this is a good idea and you should go do it. Um, I think it helps her just feel um, more confident in the potential for when I no longer have a, an income from an employer and have to, you know, be on my own, right? Like when, when we're, you know, drawing from savings or, you know, spending our own financial runway or, you know, going out to raise, I think that it, that could help then, but I'm just speculating at this point. Mm -hmm. So one thing that you had mentioned a little bit earlier and, and it just kind of popped in my head to ask you about this now. Um, so you're working, you know, a, a, a different job and, you know, during the day and, um, how has that been in terms of, um, like how, how are you meeting people that are maybe outside the workplace or how are you networking with people outside the workplace? If, or is this something you want to talk about, you know, with, with peers or coworkers that you have that, that you're currently working with and they're connecting you with other people, but just in terms of like practical tips in terms of if you're working a full-time job, you're potentially trying to start something else on the side and, and eventually leave. How do you go about actually meeting a lot of people? Um, and, and like, do you know, is it through Facebook posts, friends of friends, family friends, or what are maybe some like practical tips for people who are kind of in the same, same boat? Um, that's a great question. Frankly, uh, COVID-19 has actually probably made it easier to connect with people because the default now is to like, I don't actually have to go anywhere to do, to have conversations that overhead of, of, of commuting to a place, you know, going, I would go to like product hunt meetups, right? Uh, we actually hosted a product hunt meetup in San Diego uh, a couple months ago. And so that was like a really good way to meet people, but there's a ton of overhead involved in that, right? Like that's an entire evening to meet maybe five or six people when I could do that, you know, in like much faster, more efficient manner now over zoom or phone calls or whatever. Um, but tactically speaking, um, I think some of the things that product hunt was one of the ways I was doing it there. They actually have a, a pretty good like makers community. And so I tried to get engaged in that uh, lunch club is a, another great tool and resource for just meeting people. Uh, I've really enjoyed that as a, a tool. Um, lunchclub.ai, if you're not familiar, it's just like a great way to spend 30 minutes to an hour to two hours each week just getting to know somebody, even if it's not specifically around building a company, right? Like it's just fun to hear from other people. Last week, I talked to a guy who um, did really well with Ethereum and Bitcoin and is now just kind of, you know, looking for something new. And so it was just fun to hear his story and have, you know, hear him tell me about the company that he started with his brother out of college to, to, to own vending machines. Right. Um, I try to keep the business entirely separate from work, which means I haven't told anybody at work. Um, I have been uh, very intentional about, making sure that my work computer and my personal computer are entirely separate, that none of my work stuff is on my personal phone. Um, just to make sure that that line is pretty clear. And then I use all my free time, 
uh, outside of time with my family to, to work on this. So I get up super early in the morning and stay up late in the night and um, use my lunch break as, as effectively as I can. And uh, after 7 p.m. when the kids go to sleep. That's awesome. And you somehow made time for us. So we yes. really appreciate you. <laughs> like I said, I love meeting people. So this, is, <laughs> this has been fantastic. Um, you know, when I, when I think about, uh, so you know, right now I'm getting ready to launch my company. So a lot of my conversations these days are with people at a similar phase or people that are ahead, a bit ahead of me trying to, to glean some learnings from them. And so I feel like I've been spending a lot of time lately thinking about search intent, right? So mm -hmm. I don't want to just find someone who might be a user of my product. I want to find them at the moment that they are looking for a solution when their mm -hmm. intention aligns with my offering. Um, and it just occurred to me as you were talking about these, these specific meetups and talking about, you know, the product hunt makers group, there's, there's something about if you want to have a serendipitous meeting of somebody, which I think a lot of startups is serendipity. But I also think that it's intentional serendipity. Like mm -hmm. you can't bump yep. into somebody if you're not in the room. Yep. So I, I think of, of serendipity as a very, um, something that you can optimize for and something you can like engineer to increase the chances of. Yep. Um, and I feel like there's this intersection then of finding, you want to be in the places for those serendipitous interactions where there's high founder intent. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that's one thing that I probably never figured out was like, oh, I need to go to where it's not that that's the topic of what people are into, but that it's, this is the group of people that are interested in starting a company. Um, so in retrospect, I think maybe it would have been more fruitful to, for me at that moment in my life to have spent more time at general founder dating events and less time in the niche specific events of me trying to find someone passionate in the space. I'm, I'm really like of two completely opposite minds about this, but it's a really interesting idea of which direction to optimize from when you're looking to like what interactions to, to prioritize. Yeah. That, I mean, that it is super interesting because, you know, honestly, like on deck it, and that fellowship has been extremely useful as a way to get engaged with people who have a really high founder intent. Um, and and so from in that way, right, having those types of conversations, it's been really fruitful. But there's also this challenge as well, because um, it's not just this enough for, for two people to have high intent for founding. They have to be interested in something that's at least somewhat aligned, right? And be, be interested in something that is the same. So there is this like need to potentially be in that niche because you have to be with people who potentially are interested in the same things as you as well. Um, and so the intentionality of like surrounding yourself with those people is what's important, whether it's the niche, like interest based or whether it's the, uh, in like founder intent. And I think threading that, I don't think that there's, you know, I like, frankly, I just am, in a lot of ways got lucky, right. Saying yes to talking to a friend's, friend whose dad was selling a business and you know talking to the right people in the on deck community to connect with somebody who was interested in in a marketplace for small business owners um like I, you can't also discount just pure luck right some of it is getting at bats right putting yourself in those positions and some of it is purely like closing your eyes and swinging really hard and you know sometimes you make contact with the baseball totally 
what do you think? You mentioned on deck, uh, which all three of us on this call uh, are in on deck. That's how Myrna and I actually met. What, what do you think has been the biggest help for you with on deck? Because I know that you mentioned it's, it's been very helpful to you. Being surrounded by high intent founders has been helpful in just feeling community. Um, working full time and like trying to found essentially in my garage in at you know at night and in the mornings and on weekends is lonely uh and it's also especially lonely because you're not like parts the people that you work with on a daily basis who are you know friends and coworkers aren't participating in that and so you 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 have an absence of community and so just being surrounded by people who are taking the same journey is nice um but also it's just been from a tactical execution standpoint been good to be surrounded by people who are running into the same problems who uh who have expertise that i need or who for whom i can lend expertise it's always nice to be helpful um and so i'm always open to having conversations with people where i can just help because there are things that i've done i mean i've built a satellite whose goal was to take pictures of the stars, right? Like that's a niche skill that I can help with. And if you need help with that, I'm your guy. And I'll talk to you as much as you want about that topic. I uh, want help with that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. It's really expensive and chances are it's going to blow up when you launch it, but you know, good to know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm along for the ride. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I think it's been, it's been good in that respect. And then like, frankly, I wouldn't have met the two people I'm working with now without on deck. So it's been good in a very like tangible way as well. That's amazing. Um, so I want to spend the next few minutes talking about what's next from here, uh, for you. So, um, are you, are things kind of looking good with the people that you've met? Are you going to continue working with them? What's now that you've met a few people that there seems to be some sort of value add with them being, being kind of working with you. And, and if the three of you, or even you and the, and the technical peer that you met, if, if that's a fruitful relationship that you wish to continue, um, what would do things look like um, in the next few weeks or months for you? And um, how can we in any way support you? Yeah. Um, so like tactically speaking, a lot of our work has been around trying to figure out you know, kickstarting marketplaces are hard because you have to find supply and demand. And so one of the things that we've been trying to figure out is uh, how do we do that in the market that we're working in and what's the right mechanism for that. So like tactically speaking, the next few weeks are really just about us continuing to, to try different things to see if that brings enough value to either the buyers or the sellers to see if we can find a way to onboard one or both of those like participants into the marketplace in a way that we can then potentially drive some onboarding of the other participant. Um, and I think for the most part, what we agreed as a team is to kind of just evaluate it each week. Um, we've been going through the, I think it's the founders fund or first round. Somebody has like a 50 questionnaire, 50 question questionnaire to go through with your co-founders. And we've been going through that and um, it takes a long time to go through and some of it's like way further along like you know there are questions that we're just not in a place to answer at the moment 
And so we've been going through that like slowly, you know, we spend an hour and a half once a week and we get through like 10 or 12 questions, um, kind of just making sure that we're all aligned. And also at the end of each week, we just kind of make sure that everybody's still having fun and excited by the problems that we're solving. And, and I think there'll come a point probably in the next few weeks, maybe, you know, four or six weeks where we can potentially start getting some traction and things start to accelerate and formalize. And we like start to, to like come together in a more formal way. Um, and if that doesn't happen, then I think, you know, it could be that, you know, any one of the other two folks lose interest and move on to something that's potentially, you know, further along or more interesting. Um, and I think, I think that's okay. Right. Because if, you know, if, if you're not really in it for the ride, then, you know, then we, we had a great time spending this time getting to know each other and um, like there, I don't think there would be any hard feelings in, in that regard. Um, because it's hard. I mean, like we've had, we've spent four weeks working on this problem and it's, it's, it is like surprisingly difficult to do this uh, in a way that I think I took for granted having worked at companies who had already figured that out. Right. Unless you're the first and literally, unless you're the person starting the company, I don't think it's, it, it's, I don't think you appreciate how difficult it is to find customers to like actually convince somebody to to participate in this and, and in a marketplace where you have to find two people that want to participate in this. Um, and when you're buying and selling businesses, you have to find somebody who actually doesn't want to tell anybody they're actually selling their business. You have to find that person and then find a, another person who wants to buy that business. Um, and so that's just incomprehensibly more difficult than I kind of expected it would be. Um, yeah, but I think it, I also think that it's just a matter of the, the current quarantine like state of the world has also, I think affected our ability to also just like really come together and sprint on some things. And so I think when that relaxes, there'll be an opportunity for us to like actually physically meet and spend, you know, a week or a weekend or, you know, two weeks sitting in the same room, working on the problem, seeing if we can like really make traction and really make progress and also then like pressure testing our relationships as like um, a, as a founding team. I like when I started this process, I, uh, my neighbor down the street, actually, he makes like a um, docu-series um, like, you know, HBO's Hard Knocks or any of those like docu-series that you'd find on Netflix. He, he does those. And I, I joked that he should make a bachelor for co like finding co-founders because there's a lot of, like that where you, you just like you want to get everybody in a room and find the worst version of them as quickly as possible so that you can make sure that like even in the worst version of that person that you guys can all still find a way to like cooperate and get along and get through that um and so i think once that quarantine gets lifted and we can we can do some of that i think there will be a lot of opportunity then for us to also like have a more confident like say in yes, you know, we all want to work together and we think that we'd be good working together. And, you know, we can imagine working together for the next five years or 10 years or however long it takes for us to like really get where we want to go. Uh, I love so much of that. Um, both the, I mean, yeah, the pressure testing for sure, but also Myrna and I were having almost uh, this exact conversation last week. I think it was 
where we were talking about there's, there's going to be a day where we finally actually meet in person and there's going to be all these things that are so familiar to each of us about each other. Right. And, and conversationally so much dynamism, but then it's like, there's all these little mannerisms that you don't know about somebody until you meet them in person. Right. And, and so uh, we were joking about uh, we should do a recording and make sure we record a podcast whenever we finally meet in person as an opportunity to potentially capture like whatever that transitional state is. Totally. Um, But I I think it's really fascinating. I think it's going to be a really, it's an interesting combination for you, right? Because it helped you so much in some ways to, for people to have the time and space flexibility to, to meet each other and to try jamming on this. But now there's the the separate part of it's like, oh, right, but we might actually hate being in the same room. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that's I hope really not. <laughs> right, right, of yeah. course, of course. <laughs> I also do think it'll be super awkward, right? Like, because like you said, like we, you're so familiar with these people, but, and yet in equal parts, not, right? Like these people that I've spent the last four weeks working with probably don't appreciate how much I talk with my hands because you can't really see my hands when we're on a Zoom meeting. But when we get in person, they're going to be flying all over the place. <laughs> I, uh, well, maybe you guys need to make sure you like eat meals on camera together just to get like the worst of it out of the yes. way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And if you do get your neighbor to record a docu-series on you, please let us know when it launches on Netflix or HBO. I know. Like, but I mean, I feel like there has to be a bachelor for founder dating. It, like, it, it would it would be so interesting. I mean, what do you call it? Like instead of it has to be like a playoff Shark Tank, right? Like mm-hmm. how do you <laughs> how how do you uh, how how do we spin this? I think there's a great title waiting to happen. There, yeah, and and just like imagine all of the drama, right? You just throw so you like find all of the worst archetypes of Silicon Valley and you throw them in a room and just enjoy the chaos that ensues. I mean, that's the best part of Bachelor anyway, right? Is like just like waiting for that person that the producers have like made stay on the show much longer than necessary just to like amp up the drama. Yeah. I think they all live in a house and the, uh, right. the, the person that they're dating gets the master suite, the CEO suite. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the, yeah. And they can like edge the drama too, because you can be like, Oh, well, you know, th- that person's really edging for a CEO. He's going to, he's going to oust you. <laughs> That's amazing. hundred percent. watch. Yeah, right? Yes. Um, This has been amazing, Bradley. Thank you so much for making time for us. Um, We've really enjoyed having you. And um, there were so many things that you said that I just wanted to write down immediately and like never forget. So I'm so glad this is recorded and I get to listen to it as many times as I want to. Um, And we can't wait to share it with our audience and have them learn um, from you as much as we did today. So thank you again. Yeah, absolutely. This has been an absolute blast. Thanks so much. Yeah, word to that.